Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast, a Canadian real estate podcast that shows you how to pay off your mortgage sooner and live well while doing it. Now, here's your host, Sean Cooper. Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. I'm Sean Cooper, and it's great to be back for another episode. On today's show, I'll be talking to Sarah Larby. Sarah specializes in helping take the mystery out of home ownership for Canadians who thought real estate investing was going to be out of reach. She's earned their trust and respect by having the drive and focus to embark, build, and grow a seven-figure 10 property, 14 door investment portfolio by her mid 30s, all whilst employed full time. She's now able to exit the job world as of fall 2020, only seven years after buying her first investment property. Sarah is an invited back speaker and panelist with the Investor Forum, and her expertise and insight are a sought after subject at professional networking groups. And as co founder, she also hosts regular investor learning sessions for experienced and newer investors through the success of the Wright Club. In my interview with Sarah, we discuss how she was able to retire from her 9 to 5 job 30 years early, the importance of key power team members, and how advanceable mortgages can help you grow your real estate portfolio. Without further ado, here's my interview with Sarah Larby. Hey Sarah, how are you doing today? I'm great, Sean. How are you? I'm doing pretty well, thanks. It's great to have you back on the podcast. Last time we spoke, you were working full-time at a 9 to 5 job. What has changed since then? Yeah, so last time I was on your podcast, I was still working full-time, 50, 60-hour weeks. And since then, I've made the decision over the summer to leave the corporate world, leave the job world, and quote-unquote retire. At least, you know, I'm still going to be doing real estate, but retire from the job. And it's really cool to, to be able to utilize the, the time in the summer that we had and just reflect back on, you know, what I needed to do it and I realized I was actually able to retire from the corporate job and I didn't need my, my full-time income anymore, which is pretty cool. Real estate replaced it. All in all, I guess uh, I've got the freedom that I've been wanting to get for so long. Wow, that's amazing. And I'm just curious, did the current COVID situation play into it at all? And was that always the end game with you of being able to retire early, investing in real estate? Was that always what you had in, in mind uh, as early as you're retiring? Yeah, I always wanted to retire early. I didn't want to work 35 or 30 years just to retire when I'm much older. And I still wanted to enjoy the health benefits of, of still being young and being able to have that freedom and to travel and do different things. COVID actually, in a weird way, it, it forced me to slow down because I was going like 200 miles an hour with my full-time job and everything else I was doing when it came to real estate and in a way, like, yes, it was a shock, but COVID allowed me to actually spend more time at the cottage and just doing more reflecting and just realizing that from a financial standpoint, 
I actually was where I wanted to be and I was able to take that leap. So this was back in June. I, I left, you know, permanently October 1st, but I, I definitely wanted to make sure I, I didn't burn any bridges and the company has been amazing. My, my team was amazing. So, uh, you know, I, I gave them a good like three months heads up. <laughs> so it was, it was a, a transition definitely, but it, uh, it feels great. It's been the first full month right now of being able to be in charge of my own calendar, my own everything I want to do. I mean, despite the fact that we can't travel, it's just been, it's been an incredible month so far and I can't wait for the rest. Well, that really sounds amazing. And I'm sure it'll be even more amazing once we can uh, travel again, hopefully sooner rather than later. I'm sure the listeners are wondering how you were able to actually achieve it. Can you explain to the listeners, how did you manage to retire from your job 30 years early. Obviously, real estate played an important role in it, but perhaps you could go a bit more into the nuts and bolts of that. Yeah, sure. About 10 years ago, I went to the bank with my boyfriend, Matt, at the time, and we realized that we had been working for a few years and had no assets. And we didn't really know what an asset or liability was when we met with our financial advisor. And that day, like literally, this became my my passion is how to create wealth and how to retire early. And I literally just went home and Googled it. It took a couple of years. I narrowed it down to investing in real estates. And in October, 2013, we bought our first rental property, rented it out. Fast forward to today, we've got 14 doors. Six of those are short-term, the rest are long-term rentals. But what really made it happen faster was the Burr strategy. When you buy a property, you renovate it, um, you rent it out, you refinance to pull the money out, and then you, you take that money to go to the next one. So that's really helped us catapult that faster and forward to get to our goals. It took seven years, but it's seven years of dedication and just continuing and moving forward and, and ensuring that you know our goals are in mind and in check. And here we are today. Wow, that's really impressive. And it just goes to show it's all about one property at a time. I'm not sure whether you had that number of doors in mind when you first started investing in real estate, but I guess have one door and then you just keep adding and adding. And then before you know it, you're at 14 doors, eh? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I'm still able to, to buy now. It's just going to be different, right? So I'm, I'm still continuing. Like I'm, just because I'm retired from my full-time job, it just doesn't mean that I want to be stagnant and twirl my thumbs all day. So like I'm still going to be buying real estate. It's just going to now be if I'm doing it by myself because I don't have a, a T4 income anymore and we probably don't qualify for much more residential. They're likely going to be commercial residential units. So like five or more units or something with a storefront or an office space and then maybe some like a mixed use residential on top. So something like that, we can still we can still keep going that way. And then I'm going to be also doing some joint ventures. You know, I've had a lot of people inquiring about it. Just didn't have the time before to go out there and and, and scale to the same extent. So I'm I'm looking forward to that as well. But you know, ultimately, I'm I'm also looking forward to having time off and days off and being able to travel more once things open up and really being in charge of my own schedule. Like if I want to be going out a random Wednesday um, in the middle of the day, I can, right? That's that's the freedom that you can create. Oh, that really sounds amazing. And that's a perfect segue to my next question. You set yourself some goals, but it, it's important to have the right people around you uh, to help uh, make things happen. So talk about the importance of what you like to call your key power team members and how others can make it happen like you. Yeah, absolutely. There is nobody that's in a successful real estate investor that has done it all by themselves, right? Otherwise, it's an uphill battle. 
So building your team is so important. So you're going to want to have your core team and then you're going to want to have a local team. So your core team, so let's just say you're, you want to invest in Ontario, right? So your core team will be your mortgage broker, not going to the bank because that's one of the mistakes I made in the beginning, but your mortgage broker, a good one that's, that's working with other investors and ideally is an investor themselves. My mortgage broker really helped me be able to scale by, by ensuring that I'm qualifying for the correct lenders at the right time, not to hit that financing wall. And then in addition to that, you're going to want to have a good real estate accountant, a good real estate investing lawyer. So that's going to be your core team and, and a coach. If you want a coach or mentor to help speed things forward, learn from their mistakes, goes much faster. And then you'll have your local team. So your local real estate investor, realtor, right? So you want them to be investors themselves because they'll know what the, the numbers look like. And they're going to be able to, to help you as well along the way. So definitely a good local realtor, your contractors that understand the strategy that you're, you're doing. So if you're doing the Burr strategy, which is a mix of flipping and holding, you're going to want to ensure that these contractors understand how to renovate to get the maximum after repair value and the maximum rent without over renovating. That's an important piece as well. You're going to have your, your inspector in your core team, just go back. You can have an insurance broker as well. That's always a great person to add to the team to help you propel yourself forward. And, you know, there's a handful of other people that you might have, but like, those are probably the main ones that you're going to want to have to get started. And the easy way the easiest way to do that is pick your mortgage broker or pick your realtor and ask for who they utilize for their team. A local realtor, if you're interested in a specific area will you, and their investors themselves, they'll likely have their whole team set up. So lean on them, find a good one, you can lean on them for a lot of those team members and the trades, right? An electrician, a plumber, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm just curious, have you done any of the renovations on the properties yourself or do you basically outsource that all to experts to take care of? If I actually did the rentals myself, the houses would lose value. <laughs> 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 but no, you know what? I will say that I delegate everything that I can that I either don't know how to do, don't enjoy doing, or is just not worth my time. So I can work in like not in the business, but I can work on the business. We've done it two ways. We've done it where I was essentially the contractor managing trades. You hire a person for the kitchen, you hire like a flooring person, you can hire a painter, like, and you're coordinating the trades. And I've done it, you know, where you're hiring the contractor yourself and the contractor is essentially babysitting and managing the trades. So one costs more than the other. Obviously hiring a contractor costs more than you know, being the contractor yourself, you'll likely save anywhere between 20 to maybe 50%, give or take. And then I've done it where I was at the cottage for three months and I just wanted to hire contractors to manage all of that stuff because I just didn't want to necessarily deal with it, deal with the day-to-day -day stuff. Yes, it costs more money, but it was you know, the right one and it'll give you peace of mind and things get done. Okay, great. Thanks very much. And could you talk about Vanceville Mortgages and how they can help you grow your real estate portfolio? Yeah, here's the thing. On I'll, I'll take a step back first. When it comes to financing, it's important that you work with the lenders that are going to have the most flexibility to start, right? So, for example, like I like the the lenders that are going to give me twenty percent as a down payment and a thirty year amortization, and the rates are fairly good. Okay, usually those are like A lenders, like big banks. 
in addition, I like the ones that allow for a refinance to be done in three months or six months because some lenders don't want to do a refinance until after 12 months. So if my strategy is to take a property, renovate it quickly, put the tenant in, get the refinance, I want to be able to have that flexibility to go back and get a new appraisal done with a new house value that's gone up and be able to recycle my money. So I do like the ones that allow for a shorter timeline to refinance. The other piece of it is there are some lenders that will do advanceable mortgages, which is essentially you put in a dollar, you're paying your mortgage each month or your tenants in this case, are going to pay your mortgage each, each month. Half goes to principal, half goes to interest. The principal portion, if you are working and you've got a loan that's an advanceable mortgage, what's going to happen is let's just say your payments are a thousand bucks, 500 is in principal pay down. That opens up a line of credit on your advanceable mortgage for that same amount that you can utilize down the road. So that is a great tool. You still have more flexibility. You don't have to go and requalify for those as well. If you don't want to, they're just going to essentially grow a HELOC or a home equity line of credit automatically as you pay down your principal. No, that sounds like a great strategy and a good way to have the equity in your property working for you rather than having to save the money. Because I'm sure if you had to keep saving the 20% down from personal savings to buy each property, that would probably take a lot longer than the strategy you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Well, since this is the Burn Your Mortgage po- podcast, what tips can you offer for burning down mortgages yourself? Yeah, there's a few things you can do. First and foremost, if you don't need all the cash flow, you can reuse it into the business. Your tenants essentially with investment properties are paying the mortgages down as long as they cash flow. I do like um, the accelerated biweekly payments so you can get your 30-year amortization down to 26, but I don't necessarily like want my payments to be on a 15-year AM or anything along those lines. Here's what I do and here's what I suggest. When you're a real estate investor, you're going to have your nest egg strategy and then you're going to have your accelerator strategy. Your nest egg properties, for example, are going to be the ones that you're going to keep for a really long time. Okay, These are going to be the ones that at some point they will be paid down. And what you're going to do is you're going to utilize your fast track strategy or your accelerator strategy. And you're going to, you're going to at some point sell those properties that you have that you're not keeping forever in your accelerator strategy to pay off your nest egg properties. Right. So let's just say you accumulate... 10 nest egg properties that you burr, right? You've, you've renovated them. They, they have a tenant in there. Your tenants are paying down your, your mortgage. And once you've, you've got those 10, maybe you decide to buy a few more that you're going to keep for like five years or seven years, or maybe some of those 10 you've decided that you want to sell some off. So what you're then going to do is you're going to take the, the proceeds or the profits, and then you're going to pay down your mortgages with those. So that at some point, your 10 nest egg properties are generating about 70% is going to be the cash flow of what the rent's going to be. So let's just say your rent is 2000 70% of that is likely what's going to come into your pocket because there's still insurance, there's still maintenance, things that will happen. So you still have to factor a few things. Obviously, there's still taxes, even if your mortgages are paid down. To me, that's the strategy that I apply versus just trying to pay off each one by adding lot large chunks. So I have I have them set into two different categories. Great. I'm just curious, is your plan to eventually have all the mortgages paid off on the properties or do you plan to just keep using mortgage financing to keep like do you have a limit to how many doors you want? Are are you happy with 14 doors or do you want 50 or 100 doors one day? I mean when I looked at what I had 
I, I was happy with the income that it was bringing me. I don't necessarily need 200. I don't need 100. But what I will, so my personal strategy, what I'm going to be doing moving forward is I'm going to be looking at some like larger multifamily. I'm going to be looking at some joint venture deals that will have a shorter time frame. And then I'm going to keep those 14 that I currently have, those 14 doors. And I'm going to work out a JV agreement that says in five years or seven years, if we both agree to sell, that property gets sold and profits get split. And then that chunk of money will, will be paid down on the properties. So that's kind of how I have it set up, but it doesn't mean that ever, everyone's going to do it the same way, right? Personally, for me, I don't mind having 10 mortgages because I know that they're being covered and they still cash flow and I'm strategic about it. The tenants, I, I would say, part of where I think I've been able to be successful and, and scale the portfolio is every property that we bought the rent is still covering all of the expenses and then it's giving us some net income at the end of the day versus maybe a speculator that might just buy an $800,000 condo and rent it out and lose 400 or have to pay an extra four or 500 out of pocket for somebody to actually live there because they're, they're not able to cover all the costs of the mortgage and the taxes and everything else. Great. Thanks very much for explaining that. And I'm just curious, how has it been having tenants during COVID-19? Have you had any issues with anyone paying the rent who has been affected by COVID in terms of their income? And have you had to actually show a property during COVID-19? I would think since nowadays, it's a lot more difficult to evict tenants. I don't even know if that's possible right now because the court systems are kind of all, if they're open, they're probably really backlogged. But yeah, I just wanted to kind of hear your experience with tenants during these days and what advice you would have for somebody who is showing a property to tenants. I mean, obviously, I would think that you would want to screen even more carefully these days since it's not, it's not so easy to evict a tenant if you have to do that. So yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, Sarah. Yeah, sure. So, so I'll preface by saying I'm in Ontario. So every province will have, you know, different regulations. In Ontario, it is definitely, like you said, favoring the tenants. And the board is backed up that if you have a tenant that doesn't pay, like it could take up to a year to get the eviction completed. I will say that like screening your tenants is vital. And we've been lucky because what we found is that, you know, we're buying these properties, we're renovating the properties and so that we're able to then set up um, our own tenants that we want, right? So there is a, a five-step screening process that's very thorough that I've built over time just through, you know, my experiences. And I, I do have that available on my website as well. So screening your tenants in a, in a province where you know that it's very tenant friendly. And if you get the wrong ones in there, you don't have a whole lot of control. That is going to be so critical. And then to answer your second question, all my tenants have been fine during COVID. I think one needed another couple days, one of the months to, to pay. But again, like everyone's, everyone's caught up and everyone has paid on time. And the other thing too, I would say is I, I buy in markets where, you know, let's just say that $2,000 CERB per person actually helps, right? Versus somebody in Toronto that's renting for $3,000 or something in a major city and a $2,000 CERB payment probably doesn't take you very far. You don't have a whole lot left for food. So the properties that I buy are not seven or eight or $900,000 properties for the most part. They're likely three-ish 
thousand hundred thousand dollar properties give or take the rents are still manageable so the other thing is obviously you know your, your tenants are, are clients so we treat them well and you know we have respect for them and, and in return they do too i did and to answer your other question i did show or i did have one unit become vacant a couple that broke up it became vacant and we filled it but to be honest like i've spent you know my the first i don't know from let's just call it april march to to you know april-ish all the way to july i was at the cottage and we had it filled in in may and i didn't really want to go back for it so i just actually hired my my real estate's investor realtor so my realtor out there found somebody and she has taken my my tenant screening course as well and she knows exactly what i look for so she was able to help place somebody there great tenant she works with the city actually and just a single lady and i think she's got a couple cats but you know everything's good but just do you do a very good you know job at, at your due diligence on screening tenants i will say it's not always possible if you inherit te uh, tenants at that point in time right so like if i'm going to be buying a five unit building chances are like the majority, if not all, of those units already going to have tenants in there. So you don't always know what you're what you're getting, and sometimes you've got to find some ways to do cash for keys or, or just different things if those tenants don't work out. If you don't want to be waiting for that whole year for the board to give you that eviction. Great, and just curious, cash for keys. Could you just briefly explain what that means exactly? Yeah, so it's just in a in a way, I, I kind of it makes me angry, but because the process is so slow in Ontario. And some tenants may not even want to cooperate and they may drag their feet. Sometimes it might be easier to just offer what it is, exactly what it says, right? Cash for the keys. So if a tenant is willing to move out, maybe you give them first and last, or maybe you give them a, you know, a few thousand, whatever it is for them to say, okay, yep, I'm fine. I'll leave. And like, you know, it is what it is. Move on. Um, obviously you don't give them the cash until they're like, completely out and like literally all their stuff is out but it is something that landlords have been utilizing in order to get people out faster and it's also an issue because some tenants are uh, realizing that and uh, and trying to ask for some like astronomical amounts so that they don't drag their feet through the whole process okay good to know so remember don't give the cash first wait until they're out of the property <laughs> <laughs> yeah Okay, perfect. Well, Sarah, it's been great having you on the show. Before I let you go, is there anything of interest that you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners today? The rightclub.com is a whole online community of real estate investing across Canada. It's free to join the rightclub.com. It's R-E-I-T-E club.com. And then they can go to my website as well. Like I'm, I'm always working on different things. I am always looking for some off-market opportunities. I am considering some joint venture partnerships as well. They can go in and take look at sarahlarby.com. I am also launching a Burr Freedom community. So, you know, the whole process that I've done to create my freedom, we're going to have two calls a month. It's going to be affordable. It's going to be a, you know, a larger group, but there is, there is that coming out as well in December, which I'm excited about. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Burn Your Mortgage podcast. Besides being a podcast host, I'm also an independent mortgage broker. If you or anyone you know, family, friends, co-workers, or neighbors could ever use any unbiased mortgage advice or a second opinion, feel free to reach out. Email me at sean, that's S-E-A-N, at burnyourmortgage.ca or call or text me at 647-867-3711.
for a free mortgage consultation. Also, be sure to head on over to www.burnyourmortgage.ca and sign up for my free weekly newsletter. As a small token of my appreciation, you'll be able to download my ultimate mortgage checklist on choosing the perfect mortgage. I look forward to hearing from you and helping you with all your mortgage needs. Once again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating. Until next time, happy mortgage burning.